Aren't these days nice? Yeah. Although it's rather cold in the morning, but uh, I so enjoy Indian summer every, I guess that's what they call it, Indian summer every fall. Um, we, we love where we live. We're so pleased that uh, the Lord has allowed us to be here for such a long period of time. And uh, we get, live in a place where you can see God's handiwork pretty easily. A um, couple of comments. One, we uh, had a memorial for Ted on uh, Friday. There were a lot of old-timers here. T Ted was in his 90s, and so there were a lot of old-timers from Carson City. Um, I even wore a tie because I realized a lot of people would be here with coats and ties. And uh, um, But uh, I thought... Uh, Ken, his son, I thought his words were really excellent, just describing this man who had such an impact on so many people's lives. And uh, we also, it's pretty uh, incredible to me how often we have opportunities to share um, the, the good news, the good message, God's great message of Jesus Christ, how we get to do that at a memorial service, perhaps for some people maybe who have never heard the message or never understood it before, or maybe it was the first time they really listened to it, but um, I, I thought that went well too. So pray for those individuals who heard that message, and uh, yeah. The other thing I'd just like to mention is there are three more weeks of Bible basics. Uh, we asked for a five-week commitment, and then f those five weeks are gone. But uh, they, this group was eager and wanted three more weeks, so we're doing three more weeks. We're going to be looking at salvation. Just the Salvation is a, it's like an umbrella over biblical terms like justification, sanctification, glorification. It's a... Um, so we're going to be looking at that this Tuesday night at 6.30 back there in that back room. Uh, and then we're going to be looking at who you are in Christ one week and who you are in the Spirit, Holy Spirit, one week. And so if you'd like to join us even for these last three weeks, we'd love to have you, you do that. Father, we pray today that as we continue looking at uh, the cases, if we were, if we were carrying out uh, court cases, these would be the cases that are brought against the human race. And uh, it's very sobering to read your evaluation. When we evaluate what's going on in society today and in this world today, when we evaluate that against the truth of your word, we realize how far short mankind, humanity, has fallen um, in comparison to what you wanted us to experience. And so may we continue to understand these truths, but also continue to remember that this Jesus, there's going to be a day of wrath for the unbeliever someday. It's called the great white throne judgment, and Jesus is going to be the judge there. But Lord, we also realize that this Jesus is the one we just sang about when we taught, when we sang about when I survey the wondrous cross, where Jesus, you died for us as sinners and for our sins. And so we pray that we would keep that in mind as we go through this series on, on uh, humanity and how fall, far short we have fallen. Um, thank you for uh, the good news that we get to share along with the bad. It truly is good news, but we, in order to truly understand it and appreciate it, we have to see the bad too. 
So may, may we understand that you without partiality um, judge according to truth and according to works and according to opportunity and according to the secrets of every person. So thank you that your judgment is fair. It is just. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. Going to be continuing on in our series here on um, uh, are we good enough? <laughs> these these three cases, you know, the outright rotten pagan, the uh, moral person, and the religious person. We're going to see if anybody is good enough to deserve or earn God's salvation. I put on your handout, and I hope you're following along on that two-page, you know, the back-to-back thing, the, the notes that, I, that are in every bulletin. Hopefully they are. Um, if, if you don't have a bulletin, I'd encourage you to get those notes because I follow this very carefully because I've written down what I want to say. But I, I put on there, God without partiality judges according to truth. And I, I looked up definition of truth. One of them said... Uh, Truth is what is true. That was real helpful to me. Um, you, you remember Jesus' statement to Pilate, for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. He, he's talking to this, this Roman governor, and he's, he states to him, for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And, of course, Pilate responded with that three-word three question, what is truth? Jesus, in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, says these words, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And so I got thinking about Jesus is truth. That's what the scripture teaches. Jesus is truth. Jesus prayed God's word is truth. He made that statement in a prayer. The Bible says the Holy Spirit of truth lives in every Christian. The belt of truth is part of the Christian's spiritual armor. I've always liked this kind of this definition, it's a, it's a workable one for me. Truth is a growing knowledge and understanding of Jesus and the Word and how He works in our daily lives. I, I have that written down on the, on the bulletin as well as in your, your notes there. Truth is a growing knowledge and understanding of Jesus and the Word and how Jesus works in our daily lives. And how each person, and this is not, we're not talking about people groups here, we're talking about every individual, how each person responds to the truth that God has revealed is an, is an issue of eternal significance. How you respond to the truth of the Bible, how you respond to the truth of Jesus, how you respond to the spirit of truth, that is a, an issue of eternal significance. Because those who respond to Jesus and by faith 
receive him as Lord and Savior will spend eternity with Jesus. Those who reject truth that they've received from God, whether it's truth in the word or the truth of Jesus himself, those who reject the truth of God that he's revealed to them will spend eternity without Jesus. And it's, it's really sobering when you, when you read these verses and you see it in our society today. You, you see, you know, they're asking, what is truth? Well, truth is what it means to me at this time in my life. It might change a week or a month or a year later. It's just what truth means to me at this moment in time. There's no standard. There's no, there's no basis of authority. There's no uh, measuring stick uh, uh, by which to, to evaluate claims and words that people use. The first case to see if any are good enough was in chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. And the accusation against every human being was they suppress God's truth. God gives, gives them truth. He, he, he makes known to them some truth about himself, but the accusation, the charge against every individual is that they suppress God's known truth. And because of them suppressing God's known truth, individuals and societies suffer the effects. They're given over to idolatry. They're given over to sexual impurity. They're given over to degrading passions. They're given over to depraved minds. The verdict, of course, in that first case is guilty. The sentence is the wrath of God being poured out from heaven at this time against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. Against all ungodliness, things against God and against unrighteousness. It just means, it's, it's a word that means injustice of mankind. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, we begin a second case. This is God versus the moral person, the person that you would consider nice. He's really a nice neighbor. You know, he picks up my mail when we're gone or whatever, you know, shovels my walk. Or, uh, it's just the, the, the person who you would consider moral and nice. You know, he doesn't, he's not engaging in some sexually uh, immoral relationship as far as we know. But it's just the, the person who we would consider nice or moral. And I'd like to read the first 16 verses. We're only going to look at verses 1 through 5 today, but you have to look at the whole case here. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Romans. Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? 
Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively, instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. The charge against these people, these moral, nice people in chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, is judging others that you consider worse than yourself. Because these people are saying, I'm not chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. I don't fit there. And so here in these verses, we have the basis of God's judgment on all people. And if you're following along on the, on the bulletin, you, you know, I, I have the point there that and you might want to write this in, that, that uh, you know, God without partiality judges according to truth, works, opportunity, and a person's secrets. In verse 1, still addressing the unbeliever, he says, Therefore you are without excuse or defense. It's the same word that was used back in chapter 1, verse 20, when it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. And he says, you people in chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, you also are without excuse. It's revealing, and we're going to see that with the religious person also in a couple of weeks, that God's good news is needed by everybody, all. People have the tendency to disapprove of the conduct of those who don't live on our level. Envy? Nah, don't struggle with that. Greed? Nah, don't struggle with that one. Sexual sins? Well, I've never actually practiced it. 
We pick out the sins we're not outwardly guilty of and point the finger at others. So easy to do. And the Bible says, when you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do the same things. You too suppress the truth. You too don't rely upon God. You don't follow up on known truth about God that God has revealed to you. The word judge means to pronounce judgment. You know, it's God. He is worse than I am. Concentrate on him, not me. And there are people who won't listen to any discussion of what they have done to their mate or to their children or to their fellow worker because their thinking is focused on the sins of another. Hey, don't talk to me about what you think I've got problems with. You, you concentrate on these people who are really bad. But the Bible says everyone's sin is suppressing the truth of God. Came across this quote, the unbeliever's human heart has a capacity to tolerate perverse evil within itself while harshly condemning even the smallest offense in others. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? We have the tendency to be blind to our own sins, worry, fear, lust, hatred, jealousy, pride, selfishness, unforgiveness. When we demean people or certain classes of people, when we're unfair in our business practices or are arrogant towards someone or not loving when we could be or when we're stubborn, God sees all this. We too often don't because we're so focused on the sins of somebody else. I don't know if you remember Joe Wright's prayer when he prayed before the Kansas Senate. It was probably 20 years ago, something like that. But he prayed this prayer. Many have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. Have killed our unborn and called it choice. Have neglected to discipline our children and called it building self-esteem. Have abused power and called it politics. Have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. Have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. That's quite a prayer. By the way, when he prayed that before the Kansas Senate, uh, many of the people there in the Senate uh, walked out. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. The word condemn means to judge down. By judging others, the moral person is is admitting that there are standards. When they say that's not fair or that person needs to be punished, he can't do that without consequence.
That moral person is guilty not only because he has suppressed God's truth, taken God's truth and, and put it underneath him so that he doesn't have to pay any attention to it, but also because he or she sins against whatever truth he or she knows. It's deliberate. It's intentional. And so you come to verse 2, and we know that God and his justice will punish anyone who does such things. See, again, you, you, you come back to truth. What, what are you measuring against? It's, it's God who sees us as we really are and reveals our sins in his word. And so a point on your handout, we absolutely know that all of God's judgments are according to truth. Now, I, I want to make this comment here because I, I think it's really an important one. For Christians, judging when God judges is right. We should do that. We don't use our standards, our morality, our, you know, our uh, thinking uh, our definition of truth, we don't use that against somebody else. We, we say, well, God has this to say about this. And we should speak out that there really is only one solution who is the truth, and it's a who there. It's Jesus. And, and we need to be willing to speak of Jesus we need to be, be willing to speak clearly on God-revealed sin so that it doesn't become an argument by what is true to you and what is true to somebody else. It doesn't end up this argument, well, I don't believe that's the truth. You, you can just keep your own truth to yourself. Uh, th that, that isn't what we're talking about here. We're talking about what God has to say. It's the reason when people come to me for counseling, uh, you know, what I try and do is direct them to God's truth. It's what Bob Smith did with me when I had all these questions that I didn't know answers for. What does the Bible, you know, what does God think about this? And he take me to passages in Scripture and show me from the Word how I need it. He let God speak to me. And I went away with God's Word on my heart, not Bob's Word on my heart. And any good counselor will do that, good biblical counselor. They will take you to God's word and let God speak to you. And it sickens me that you do not hear in all of the discussion that's going on in our Congress today and in this country today, you do not hear God's truth being proclaimed. End of my rant. <laughs> Are you glad it's over? Oh, you're glad I said it. Oh, thank you. I thought you were glad that I was done. <laughs> he said amen. That's the reason I responded. Verse 3. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? You see, with God, there's no escape. There are no legal loopholes. There will be no excuses. 
And I understand we put God on the spot here. I think we need to understand he puts us on the spot. But we, we, we question God asking, how can a just God permit the injustice and wickedness that's taking place in this world? Why doesn't God judge? Why doesn't he stop this from, from beginning, from happening? But more appropriate questions would be, why didn't he judge me yesterday when I said that destructive word? Why didn't he judge me yesterday when I lusted after somebody? Why didn't he just judge me yesterday when I cheated on my income tax? Why didn't he judge me yesterday when I gossiped or made somebody look bad or when I didn't love as I could have, when I stole time or materials at my workplace? Why didn't he judge me when I didn't forgive? If God said at midnight tonight, I'll judge all sins according to truth, who would be left? Verse 4, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's, it's, it's intended to bring you to the place of repentance, which means to turn away from your sins and turn to God. Just because God doesn't deal with a person immediately, the moralist concludes that God must overlook sin. He doesn't. What you're seeing expressed here is God's kindness and patience. God doesn't tolerate sin. It's his vast abundance of kindness that waits. Remember last week we talked about, you know, God is gracious and he's compassionate and he's, he's slow to anger and he's abundant in loving kindness and he's abundant in truth and he, he's a forgiving God and he's a just God. That's the kind of God we have. We need to be falling to our knees and saying, thank you, God. Thank you for your patience and your kindness. It's his vast abundance of kindness that waits. The point is to lead us to repentance. God asks, why are you acting this way? You're treating with defiance the opportunities I'm giving you to repent. You know, we were talking at the Friday morning men's group, and we were talking about the uh, first, uh, you know, the first Peter passage that, that uh, deals with with uh, that you, that Jesus is the, the chosen stone. He's the rock. <laughs> He's the cornerstone upon which we are to build. And those of us who are Christians, we are building on that rock, that stone. We have this firm foundation that we know as Jesus. And, and then he says to the others who reject the the stone, they don't build on him, they choose not to, they reject him, they spend the rest of their lives stumbling over him. So you either build on Jesus to be everything you need, or you find Jesus is an obstacle in your path, or you a stumbling stone in your path wherever you go. Oh, <laughs> I stumbled again, oh, oh, it was Jesus again. He was giving me another opportunity. Oh, I just ran into this. Oh, it's Jesus, this obstacle. It's Jesus. And there's another opportunity. He gives people opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. 
But he accuses them here, you're treating with defiance the opportunities I am giving you to repent. Do you think I won't judge you? Verse 5, but because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Someone wrote that as one of the most terrifying verses in all the apostolic writings. You are storing up terrible punishment for yourselves for a day of anger or wrath is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And really what it's saying there is when a person refuses to repent of the sinful areas of his or her own life that God allows them to see, that individual is making deposits in a bank account which he or she will on the day of God's wrath collect. The day of God's wrath, when God's settled anger against the destructive forces of sin will be revealed. And we need to understand that wrath is as much a part of the character of God as is love. And this day is coming for you if you haven't by faith received Jesus as Lord and Savior. Very sobering. Now, As Christians, we can rejoice when we read about this because according to Romans chapter 5, verse 9, Christians are not under God's wrath, his present wrath that's being poured out, nor his, this day of wrath that's coming for the unbeliever. But, but I thought perhaps we could reflect on several thoughts from these verses, <laughs> sins that he's pointing out against these moral people. In what areas am I especially critical of others in my home, with friends, at work? Always pointing toward their sins and not recognizing our own inadequacies. Who are people that I've been judging that I should be helping? How am I misusing or misunderstanding the kindness, tolerance, and patience of God? I'd like to share this with you before, uh, before we conclude on the handout there. Keep in mind, God is the source of truth. If you want to know if something is right or wrong, bad or good, uh, from God's estimation, we need to be people of the word. We need to know the word so we ourselves can go there and see what God has to say about it and so we can take others there. God is the source of truth. And he doesn't alter it according to the spirit of 2018. It's his truth this year. It'll be his truth forever. 
On the handout, as well as the bulletin, we have these words in terms of conclusion. If a person is an unbelieving in Jesus moralist, he or she needs to see his or her life on the basis of God's future judgment. So his wrath is being poured out now, and his wrath will be poured out on that day of wrath. God's judgment will be according to the truth, and as we'll see in 2, 6 through 16, according to works and opportunity and secrets. These principles of judgment are not the basis of salvation. They are the basis of God's judgment in every person's life without Jesus Christ. And so the indictment is you practice the same things. You know, you, you too suppress God's truth. You too don't honor and thank God as God. Verdict, guilty, sentence, wrath of God, future. These verses are given not to torment us, but that we might give serious consideration to God's only way of escape, the Lord Jesus. The same Jesus who will impartially judge on the day of wrath is the same one who gave up his life for us and our sins on the cross. When I survey the wondrous cross. Our only hope is in him. Jesus can change people. The outright rotten sinner of chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, and the moral sinner of chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, even you and me. <laughs> Let us place our faith in him. Remember, Jesus said, the truth will set you free. Our Father, we thank you for this, uh, these challenging verses. It, it, again, it helps us understand so much. Why do we see idolatry? Because people have suppressed, right? Uh, you know, why? Uh, because people have suppressed your truth. Why do we see sexual immorality? Because people have suppressed your truth. Why do we see degraded passions because people have suppressed your truth? Why, why do we see uh, depraved thinking because people have suppressed your truth? Why do we see people pointing the finger at others and saying, well, their sin is so far worse than mine? It's because people have suppressed your truth. And you're going you're gonna to judge according to truth. We're very thankful for that so we don't have this man-made uh, measure, the standard by which we measure things. So thank you. Thank you for making things clear. But may we also recognize that Jesus on the cross dealt with every sinner and every sin and even sin in the flesh. Jesus dealt with all the issues of sin. And so when we by faith come to this Jesus and recognize him as Lord of all and as Savior. By faith, we receive him into our lives. If we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that you, Father, raised him from the dead,
the Bible says we are delivered, we're saved. That is such good news. May we boldly, confidently um, proclaim the good news message that you've given to us and provided for us. And it's in Jesus' saving name we pray. Amen.